we are in a series on the faithfulness of God and his faithfulness through the covenants that he has made um, with multitudes, with all people, um, usually through a representative. Um, and so he will interact with a person and make promises and sometimes ask for um, some obedience in return or sign in return um, that kind of marks the covenant. Uh, but the theme of all the covenants is going to be um, the faithfulness of God and how he is true to keep his promises, uh, how he has a plan and he is working his plan and he will be uh, faithful to keep working that plan to its fulfillment um, despite the unfaithfulness of man and how we stray from those things. Last week we borrowed uh, Thomas Schreiner's definition of covenant as a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. And so we started last week with the covenant that God made with Noah uh, after the flood. Uh, God promised to never destroy mankind or animal kind, and I think even plant kind, uh, in the same way that he did through the flood. Um, it's a promise to, to sustain humanity and, and animal um, kind uh, until God's purposes are fulfilled for us. Uh, Jesus is going to return and make all things new. And so if that's the plan, if Jesus is going to come and uh, redeem and, and renew and do all those things, then there has to be someone here to, to redeem. Uh, and so God is saying that promise will be fulfilled. And so for that promise to be fulfilled, I will sustain humanity to fulfill my promise. Um, and so this promise <clears throat> to Noah back in Genesis 9, uh, it didn't require Noah or anyone else to do anything. It's just kind of this unconditional, everlasting promise that God will uh, sustain humanity for his purposes. Um, it gives us hope that in spite of tragedy and loss and suffering and disease and war, uh, that though many suffer and die, there will always be a remnant of humanity that is sustained because God has a plan for humanity. Uh, and so there won't be a dystopian, right, uninhabited world spinning around um, <clears throat> because of apocalypse or zombies or whatever, uh, because God has promised he will redeem and he will finish his purposes for us. So this, essentially, this covenant with Noah provides the context in which the other covenants are going to be played out, right? They can unfold now, because God hasn't promised redemption yet in this um, in this covenant with Noah. Uh, he will promise redemption through other covenants, but in the covenant with Noah, he's just working towards a plan that he has for redemption. But there has to be someone left to redeem. And so he makes this promise to Noah um, that mankind will be sustained and preserved. <clears throat> so the promise through Noah reassures us that the promises of God will be fulfilled and subsequent promises from God uh, will be fulfilled we know that the promises he makes after the promise to Noah will be fulfilled because there will be someone here to receive the blessing of those promises. Um, I think that's why it's, it's such a, a crucial beginning point, right? To say um, God's not making these promises saying, well, there won't be anyone around to receive them anyway, right? Uh, I promise to pay you on February 30th of every year. It's not that kind of deal. Um, there will be mankind here to receive the further promises of God. And we know that because God has promised that mankind will still be around. <clears throat> so today, we're going to look at God's covenant with Abraham, which includes a blessing for multitudes of people, for subsequent generations of people as well. Uh, but Abraham serving as a representative, 
Abraham receiving some direct blessing, some generational blessing, uh, but also promised that multitudes and generations beyond him will be blessed through him. And God first initiates his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. Um, And so we're going to read a few passages kind of as we move through the different parts of um, God working with and through Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 9 is our first passage. Excuse me. And for the sake of just uh, consistency, I'm going to call him Abraham the whole time. Uh, You might hear Abram in the verses, but when I refer to him, Abraham, same person, all right? Just to clear that up. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make, you, make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, in him, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered. And the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So in these verses, we don't see the word covenant. But as God continues to interact with Abraham in later chapters, as we'll see in a few moments, he will refer to the covenant he has made and the covenant he is making. And it's the same uh, promises kind of being drawn out. And so uh, I don't think it's a stretch. I think it's fair to say that when we look at... Uh, chapter 12, God is initiating covenant with Abraham, um, not necessarily giving the signs of the covenant, not necessarily you know, calling on the obedience that we'll see him call on from Abraham, um, but it's the same promises that he's promising to fulfill uh, in the covenants. And so I think he's initiating covenant here <clears throat> in chapter 12. Um, what we do see in these nine verses, not the word covenant, but we do see kind of a threefold promise. Three things that he says that he's going to bless Abraham with. One, offspring, two, land, and three, this universal blessing, that you will be a blessing to all, um, and through you the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this universal blessing coming through Abraham. So once again, just like we saw a little bit with Noah, there's almost kind of a a resetting of the original plan where God gave uh, Adam and Eve in the garden this mandate to, to subdue the earth, to rule over it, to cultivate, to establish, right? Uh, to be in a place and to, to live as God has intended uh, over creation. That all got messed up with humanity being wicked. If you remember last week, and we said, why did the flood even happen? Because uh, the, every intention of the heart of man was evil continually. It was this very strong statement. Uh, but that's how pervasive sin was in the earth. And God was grieved by that. And so he wipes out all of humanity except for Noah and his family, right? Providing safety for them, um, redeeming them, uh, rescuing them from the flood. 
And there was almost kind of a reset there as well. As the waters recited, uh, receded, not recited, as the waters receded uh, and things kind of came back into normal, the seasons, the growth of plants, the animals, all that kind of stuff, kind of a, a resetting of creation after the flood. And he gave Noah and his family the same mandate that he gave Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply. And so again, almost this kind of reset of this is my intention for man in creation to subdue and to rule over it in the way that I have intended. And so he sets it out again with Noah and his family. Uh, And then it didn't take long for Noah, again, to just fall into disobedience, for sin to enter the world, um, or not enter the world, but to pervade the world. Um, between the, the shame and the sin of Noah that we mentioned last week and the promise to Abraham today, there's the Tower of Babel, if you were to look at Genesis 11, uh, where mankind, again, is, is uh, just enamored with his own glory and for his own namesake, uh, tries to build a tower to reach God and become like God. Um, and it's, it's, it's great. I mean, we're skipping over it, but it's, it's a great story where uh, there's this sense in which man and what we can accomplish and we come together, right? Not even just one person. We're working together to accomplish more in this giant tower which takes us up into the heavens further than we've ever been kind of deal. And God speaks of like coming down, like let me go down there, right? So even in the highest of heights that man could ever accomplish and achieve, God still has to like come down to that level. Um, and so just this picture of, of man pursuing his own glory, uh, God, again, being angered, grieved, um, that it's not his glory that man is after. <clears throat> and then he starts to enter this covenant with uh, Abraham. And so, again, uh, another kind of reset uh, with Abraham. Because humans are imperfect, we're prone to wander from God's intended plans, as we've seen and will see over and over again. God continues to engage new representatives to accomplish, accomplish his purposes. So with Abraham, again, we see God promising to set man in a place to rule over it as he intends, just like he set Adam in a place to rule over it. Uh, in this sense, Abraham is another type of Adam, just like Noah was. We'll see, though, just like Noah, that Abraham fails. He is not um, the true second Adam, as we'll see as we go throughout the series. He's imperfect. He can't perfectly fulfill the creation mandate, Um, just like Adam didn't, just like Noah couldn't. Abraham can't either. So let's turn then to Genesis 15. So God has set this promise before Abraham to bless him, to give him offspring, to give him land, and to bless all peoples through him. God's going to do something really uh, remarkable as we see this. Really speaks to his power and his character uh, as he kind of puts a sign on the covenant here. Uh, In chapter 15 verses, well, the whole chapter. Let's just read chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number the stars 
if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet, your, is not yet complete." Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. There will not be a quiz on all the ites later, I promise. <clears throat> so this passage starts with Abram questioning a little bit, right? God has made this promise to give you offspring and then land and then to bless all these nations and peoples through the offspring that I've promised you. And Abram is saying, how can this be? Because How can I have offspring and generations and and nations come through me if I don't even have a single heir, not even one son yet. So let this serve as another reminder that God's faithfulness to keep his promises probably won't unfold in the timing that we have in mind. Abraham has received a promise, and so he's thinking God's late (laughs) or God's a liar. Uh, God's taking too long. And so he's starting to question, what's going on here, Lord? Because uh, if I heard the promise to be true, if I, if I understood it, then this is supposed to happen, and yet I don't have a son. So, uh, so is Eliezer going to be my heir? God has Abraham look at the stars and try to count them all. Can you number the stars? He says, so shall your offspring be. So God is saying in this, this interaction, this reassurance that, uh, you know, don't, don't sweat this, Abraham. I know you're doubting and questioning and thinking maybe Eleazar will have to be your heir, and Eleazar is not a family member. It's possibly a, a slave of, in the household of Abram, and that's the next closest thing who would receive all of Abram's inheritance. And God is saying, he will not be your heir. The heir will be your son. You will have a son. I've promised you a son, an offspring. And the promise doesn't stop there. So God doesn't just say, I will give you the one son that is necessary to fulfill the promise, right? He's saying, I promised you a son, yes, but I've promised that generations will be blessed through you. And so to just reiterate the the power behind the promise, God doesn't say, you know, hold up a finger. Let that one finger remind you of the one son I will give you. He says, look at the stars 
And if you've ever been, I mean, out in the country here in Rose Hill, you can kind of see some stars. Imagine back then when there's no light pollution at all, uh, how many stars you can see in the sky. He says, can you number the stars? Such will your offspring be. Generations will come through you. You're focused on what is the, just the one yet son that I've yet to have. And God is saying, I promise I will fulfill the covenant that I've made to you. And not just in a little way of blessing you with a son. Look at the stars. Such will your offspring be. God will be faithful. And so he's reminding Abraham of this. And then Genesis 15, 6, one of the most crucial verses in all of Scripture, says that Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. There wasn't anything special about Abraham that merited God choosing him to be the recipient of these great blessings, to be the person who got to be the representative of this covenant and fulfill these things. He didn't earn that. Just like there wasn't anything special about Noah that earned him that ticket on the ark. It was all the grace of God in choosing Noah, not Noah's efforts. Same with Abraham. Abraham has not earned the promise that God is making. God is simply generous, full of grace, and wanting to pour his grace out on us. Abraham is counted righteous by his faith, not by his works, just as believers are today. We do not deserve Christ's righteousness. We haven't earned it. We haven't done enough work for it. But by faith, his righteousness is credited to us, just as righteousness was credited to Abraham, because he believed not because he did. We get to see a, a picture of this, this one-sided effort, this saying that the, the covenant, the fulfillment, the faithfulness, it's all uh, from the Lord, initiated by the Lord towards us, uh, and the covenant that he initiates with Abraham here. In verses 9 and 10, God tells Abraham to prepare animals for this covenant ceremony, to mark this covenant, to cut them in half, to create a pathway between them. Then down in verse 17, listen to what happens. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Now, normally both parties in the covenant, this chosen relationship, right, mutually agreed upon between two parties, they would prepare this pathway between the halves of animals and they would both pass between it. They would both walk between the animal halves. But in this very intentional act, this very specific picture that God is, uh, is using to reinforce his faithfulness and this kind of one-sided faithfulness in the covenant, God is the only one who passes along the path between the animals. The smoke and this fire, this represents the Lord passing through. Abraham does not walk between the animals. This isn't to say that Abraham has nothing to do. He doesn't have, uh, there's nothing asked of him, or he doesn't have uh, things that God wants him to do in this relationship, but it's a powerful picture of how Abraham's contribution to the relationship is not what makes or breaks the promise. Yes, God is going to say, I want you to be blameless, I want you to walk in these ways, I want you to do some things, but the covenant promise does not rest on Abraham's obedience. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more in a few minutes, so hold on. But the Faithfulness of the covenant rests in God, who has initiated, who has made promise, and who is saying, it's on me. I will keep my promise. And this ceremony, which was, this, you know, this wasn't the first time the ceremony has ever happened, right? This was a customary thing that they would mark covenants with. 
And what it was doing is as you walked between the pathway, basically you're saying, may, may, may myself be accursed if I break covenant, right? I'm saying if, if I walk through this, I'm saying like, woe is me if I break the covenant. And as you walk through it, you're saying, woe is you if you break the covenant. So Abraham doesn't walk through it, right? Man is fallen, man is broken, man is prone to wander, man is prone to break covenant. God walks through it because he is perfectly righteous and just and faithful. And God is saying, if I break the covenant, then I would just cease to exist, basically, right? I would just, it's like self-annihilation. Because God knows, and God is, he's so perfect, so faithful, so just, so honest, so loving. He's so perfect in all these things that if he ceases to be any of those things, he ceases to be. And so God is saying, I am the faithful one. I'll pass through because I won't fail. I won't back down. I won't break covenant. I'm the faithful one. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. And he's saying that if he breaks his end of the covenant, he'll cease to exist. So we're seeing here that all of the promise-keeping faithfulness is found in God, not in man. So are there any conditions on Abraham? Right? Is it just this free license? Here's the promise and you don't have to do anything? No. Not the case. There are conditions. There are things asked of Abraham. For that, we jump to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 14. <clears throat> when Abram was 99 years old, remember the first promise came at 75, okay? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male through your generations, whether born in your house or brought, bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised, uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God calls on Abraham to be blameless, to be obedient, basically. He gives Abraham a sign of the covenant in circumcision a serious and enduring mark of obedience, a reminder that God would bless generations through the offspring of Abraham. 
we now have this tension between God's work and faithfulness and promise that's extreme kind of it all hinges on me and man's obedience. This will be a sign of your obedience. On the one hand, all the promise is sustained by God and not by us. But on the other hand, God says, anyone not circumcised or bearing the sign of the covenant will be cut off, having broken the covenant. And I think this tension is best explained in that consistently it is God who initiates, sustains, secures, and fulfills the promises. He continues even in Genesis 17 to refer to the covenant as everlasting. Right? God is not doubting that he will fulfill this covenant, which reads unconditional in a sense. Paul later would uh, write, and we'll look more at this passage next week when we look at the law and the covenant with Moses. But in Galatians 3.29, Paul says that we are heirs by promise, not by works. That we are heirs by promise. If we are in Christ, we are heirs by promise, not by works. And so the blessing that God is talking about through Abraham comes through promise, God's faithfulness, not through obedience, right? And yet there is obedience. Those who receive the blessing by grace through faith will be found obedient. All recipients of the blessings will obey God because they trust God. This is what I believe James writes about in the New Testament when he says in James chapter 2, Starting in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith itself, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. So it's not the works that save us, but works that serve as evidence of our faith. So back to Abraham. God blessed Abraham and Sarah with a son, Isaac. And the promises, the covenant would be reiterated to Isaac and through Isaac that the promise to future generations, not just Isaac, the, the first heir, but continued subsequent generations and eventually mankind. God fulfilled the promise of land, but not until the time of Joshua, when the Israelites came to possess Canaan almost 700 years after the time of Abraham and the promise to him. And it would be another, if my math is correct, if I looked at things correctly, another 1,200 plus years before Jesus came from the line of Abraham, offering salvation, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to mankind, thus blessing all nations. Abraham, way back in Genesis 12, <clears throat> is blessed to be a blessing. And all those years later, God is faithful to work out his plan and to bless 
all of mankind by sending Jesus, offering salvation to Jew and Gentile alike, because Jesus, born in the line of Abraham, offers us that salvation. Abraham didn't know exactly what it meant that God would bless all peoples through him. If you remember when he asked and started to doubt, he, he didn't start with the bless all peoples, right? He blessed with what kind of affected him the closest and, and most um, near to him. Where is my son? How will we know we've come into the land that you've promised us, right? And he kind of knows, like, you know, how can all generations be blessed if I don't have a son? But he starts with, what, you know, where's my son and where's my land? He had probably very little clue exactly what was going to unfold and what it meant that all generations and peoples would be blessed through him. But he believed and he trusted the Lord. It's faith that was credited to Abraham as righteousness and evidenced by his obedience. This is the very definition of faith we find in Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's faith that still saves us today and is evidenced by obedience. As we've seen over the last two weeks, God has a plan to reconcile man and renew creation. His covenant with Noah gives us the context for his plan. There will be mankind to redeem. There will be creation to renew. His covenant with Abraham begins to show us the means of his plan. And the always baffling thing about God's plan is that he has invited his people to take part in it. God will be faithful. God will keep promises in his timing. And we are invited to take part. But we must trust and obey. God can accomplish his purposes without us. But if we ex um, trust and obey, we'll experience the special blessings uh, that he's built into trusting and obeying him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the just the amazing picture of your faithfulness in your promises, your promises to, to Adam and, and to Noah and to Abraham, and next week we'll look at Moses, and the next week we'll look at David, all representatives that you interacted with and, and made promises to, and yet all falling short of just perfectly fulfilling your plan Ultimately, of course, we'll land on Christ and the new covenant. But God, thank you for just these pictures of your faithfulness, of, of your, uh, your confidence in yourself because you know you are faithful and true. You know you are blameless. You know you are all-powerful. And you keep trying to remind us. You keep trying to tell us. You keep trying to... Uh, to reassure us that if you've promised something, you will be true to it because you don't lie. So God, I pray that we would, as, as we hear these stories, again, these, these accounts of, of your interaction with man throughout history, we would be reminded of your faithfulness. We have the benefit, Lord, of looking back through time to see how you have fulfilled promises. Many that we're reading about didn't get to see the fulfillment of the promises you made, and yet they believed. God, may we be a people of faith. May we be assured of things that we haven't seen yet. 
that we hope in things. Not a hope that is, oh, it's 50-50, maybe. Hope that we set our hopes on. We stand solid on the promises you've made because we trust in you and your faithfulness. God, may our faith make us uh, almost weird to those who don't know you, peculiar to the the world around us who, who say, how can you trust in this? How can you have peace during these times? How can you have joy and hope in these times? Because our faith in you is so strong. Work out our doubts, God. Thank you that uh, that your covenant promises do not uh, rely on us and our faithfulness. And God, may we approach life again by faith. May we start to look more and more like Jesus. May we be people who reflect your character and your faithfulness to others. Thank you for this encouragement this morning, Lord. Thank you for these truths this morning. I pray that we would carry these truths with us throughout the day, throughout the week. Again, walking in your grace, but then also pointing others to your grace as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.